Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Executive Athletes Podcast. I want to thank everyone that's been listening and thank you for the comments, stories, and feedback. They're a tremendous help in this journey to making the podcast better and better with each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, so bear with us um, around the ums that I just said, you knows and likes, but I believe this is a, the best way to really know the guests, to really get authentic, to really hear what's on their mind. Um, this week's guest is a fellow by the name of Dave Maloney, and Dave is a true entrepreneur with a vision, with a vision to combine the love of sports with the positive social in, impact that they can have well beyond the playing arenas. And he's realized the life behind the desk was not where he truly wanted to be and wanted to make an impact. So he started the D10 or the decathlon, which celebrates the brilliance of amateur athletes through world-class athletic events measured by their economic and social impact. And I'll tell you a little bit about the D10. You can check it out online. But the D10 is a nationally televised athletic competition produced for amateur athletes testing speed strength, agility, and coordination through a mix of 10 events traditionally performed in the Olympic decathlon and the NFL scouting combine. The D10 uses a proprietary performance-based online pledging system to connect athletic performances to charitable outcomes. It's the ultimate fundraiser. And since its inception, participants have raised over $8 million to support new North America's leading pediatric cancer institutions, working collectively to cure pediatric cancer, um, an amazing cause. The D10 is featured regularly in Sports Illustrated, The Wall Street Journal, ESPN, Forbes, CNBC, and multi or all other media outlets. Dave has the guts and vision, and he has paired those two together, and you get the D10. He's a pragmatic guy who's very bright and knows competition when fostered for good can have an immense impact on fighting cancer. So he's actually taking the world of athletics, turned it into dollars, and creating an amazing cause. So Dave, welcome aboard, and tell us a little bit about the decathlon or the D10. Well, Ken, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, the D10, as you summed it up quite well, um, you know, we're into our, I guess, technically 10th season, and uh, just past 11.3 million Wow. Uh, raised for pediatric. Uh, actually, we're right on the cusp of 11.4. Um, so it's been a it's been a fun journey. I think we're still in the early innings, you know, to use a baseball analogy here, uh, and what it is that we're doing. Perfect, perfect. Now, tell me, you know, you were like many of us, right? Started, you were behind a desk and said, you know, I, I got to do something. I got to do something different. And I know, you know, when we've chatted before, you said, hey, there's a number of guys on Wall Street that are still athletes, yeah. that are still competitive. Yeah. Tell us that story of, and then how you really pulled it off initially, because it's fascinating. Oh, man. Yeah. So this was, this was a journey that uh, I never expected to necessarily go down, at least at the origin. I mean, the start was this, you know, I'm 39. I'm from New Jersey. I ran, you know, collegiate track and field at both the University of Texas and at Auburn University. And after I got my butt kicked by a bunch of Kenyans for a few years, I realized that, you know, me ascending the uh, the uh, the podium at the Olympics was never gonna happen. And so I hung up my spikes temporarily and uh, went to Wall Street. And in 2008, to settle a friendly bet among a bunch of guys who I'd worked with um, and who had all played you know, division one sports or had a cup of coffee professionally uh, in the sports world. You know, I put together a 10 event contest to settle a friendly bet. 
you know, it was really just an innocent sophomore thing with a bunch of guys who were type A and had way too much testosterone and not really sure what to do with it. And uh, I put together this contest by 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 uh, really just choosing, you know, events from the NFL Combine and others that I thought looked like they were interesting and would test overall athleticism. And I uh, rented a, a park in New York City, and, and we just did it one Saturday uh, in the fall. And then in and then 09, my mother had come out of chemo. The MD who I had reported to went in for chemo, and so I decided that I'd add a fundraising component to the Deep Ten. Again, if you remember around 09, that's when you saw the commoditization of online donating. So if anyone thought you had a dollar to your name, you were bombarded with requests for donations because it was never easier in really the history of mankind. And what fascinated me was that I thought as an athlete, the whole premise of competing in a, an athletic contest and raising money at the time was broken. I think it still is broken because as an athlete, the harder you train, the better you would expect to perform, right? And donating was totally disconnected from your commitment to whatever you were doing. So you can raise a lot of money for a cause, but really put no effort into or very little effort into the event that you were actually using to raise money. I said, that doesn't make any sense to an athlete. It's totally counterintuitive to everything you know about sports. So we wrote some rudimentary software that would allow people to bet on your athletic performance the same way, Ken, you would bet on a horse in the Kentucky Derby, except we recalibrated the way those donations actually worked. And to make it legal, all the money that was at risk would fund pediatric cancer research. And I decided brazenly I would cold call a reporter from Bloomberg News who at the time was writing about sports, and I would tell the guy I'm going to crown the best athlete on Wall Street, which is a completely meaningless title, right? It means nothing, but it resonated. And he wrote the story. We we're the number one story in the world that day on Bloomberg, on TV that afternoon. And that weekend, they roll a camera crew to film 19 guys in their gym clothes going through this contest. And we raised $125,000 from a bunch of strangers. And Monday morning, you got a you know hedge fund analyst who you know, was a football player at Cornell sitting on In the Loop with Betty Lou, which was the morning show at the time on Bloomberg. And he's the featured guest. He's the best athlete on Wall Street. And we catch lightning in a bottle. And everyone picks up the, that story. And Royal Bank of Canada ends up buying the naming rights. And I leave to produce it full-time, subsequently capitalize the company, bring it around the United States, put it on national TV, and you know, raise $11.3, $11.4 million for kids with cancer. And we think we're you know, really just still getting started. That's an amazing story. And how did you come up with the events? <laughs> I mean, you know, initially it was, okay, no one ever gets to do the NFL Combine. So let's do those events. And, you know, I'm a little guy. So I thought, all right, well, now I got to, I got to add some events in this thing, like where well, I might be able to do well, you know, so we added a 400 meter run, we added an 800 meter run, we added a 500 meter stationary row and we added pull-ups, you know, so we did the combine plus four events. Wow. That's uh, you no, know, it's, that's, I think everyone, because it encompasses everyone, right? You can't just go out. You know, some people can pull off 400 meters fast, but you can't pull off 800 meters fast. Or like you said, doing the rowing or the, you know, doing the pull-ups and combining all of them. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, we, we, th we just thought like this would be a, you know, the, a good mix of events to, you know, test your overall athleticism, you know, and, uh, 
And now you have it for both men and women, correct? And teams yes. as well? Men, women, teams, and executives. Okay. And what classifies as an executive versus men and I, you know the others? Yeah, I mean, you know, so you know, the guy is going to win the D10, on, and actually the woman, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be probably under the age of thirty. They just came from um, the CrossFit Games. Now they're at the uh, <laughs> they're at the D10. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they 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 just got cut by the Cowboys, and now they're working at J.P. Morgan, right? Right. Like that's the, you know, that's probably the guy who wins. Um, you know, but we, you know. I think this certainly will resonate with you and your audience here is, is that I, you know, I'm 39 and I saw that, you know, my age and older, you know, those guys were still maintaining a high level of fitness and, you know, it would be sort of unfair to put the 50 year old super fit guy against 22 year old counterpart. Um, you know, so those executives that, you know, that 40 plus age group, you know, that have a sort of a different priority set in life. That's just simply what life calls for at that time. Um, you know, should have their own category. You know, this is competing against their own brethren. Perfect. Perfect. No, that's a, that's going to be a blast. I got to go check out one of those events. I'd get my ass kicked on a lot of those because I can go for multiple <laughs> days, but I can't go for, uh, you know, all those quick things would wipe me out. It's fun. I'm sure. I'm sure. What about, um, so, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business leader, you've come up with you know, some amazing ideas, you know, and what do you think has made people successful? You know, you've been around some of the most successful people out there, both on wall street, on, on the playing field, what differentiates them from sort of the normal or the mediocre, if, if that's the right thing or politically correct thing to say, but you know, what makes them stand out from the pack? a fantastic question um and i think my answer and everyone's answer develops over time you get a better answer over time um where i stand today the capacity for work has to be immense whereas others may have to or may look at you as though you're crazy or just simply obsessed um, the capacity for work is has to be great uh, in addition, there's just great uh, enthusiasm. It cannot be underestimated, just the enthusiasm that is brought into everything that you know, that high performer is doing. Whether you're at work, whether you're in the gym, whether you're with your family, there's fantastic enthusiasm that is infectious to those that are around you. Um, and then I think that it is the ability to see see the world, to connect the dots, to believe that uh, the, the observations that you're making tell the story of the future. And you have to be looking at that and memorizing and, and really observing what the heck is going on around you. Um, because right now, so oftentimes you say, well, the dots connect when you look behind. And, and it's because Steve Jobs or somebody, you know, somebody was saying, well, I actually connect right in front of me too. I've never heard that. That's great, right? You're sort of trying to connect the dots as you're moving forward. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. No, those you're are... Seeing the trends and your, your, your eyes are wide open, you know, it's, uh, it's, all right. it's all right there in front of you. 
Well, and that's, you're the perfect example of it. You started the D10, but now you have a couple other new initiatives that have spun out from that. You want to talk to us about that or are those still under wraps? No, no. So, I mean, you know, I think uh, they're not under wraps. I mean, Norma, which is our, which is our big uh, initiative is a streaming technology that spawned out of the D10. Very simply, you know, we put the D10, which is a 10 event competition over four and a half hours, and we put it on linear media. We put it on television and created a, you know, elegantly produced show. And our audience didn't see it. And they didn't see it because they don't watch TV. And anyone who, you know, reads knows that that coveted viewer doesn't watch television anymore. They've cut the cord or they never had a cord. And so we recognize the need to deliver our content in such a fashion that that millennial viewer, or really I would just say, Ken, that millennial, you know, that viewer, you know, under the age of 60 could consume that content commensurate with the way in which they live their life. We live our lives in these sort of snackable moments. We're doing so much, multitasking almost at all times. And so we created streaming technology that lets you tune in to a live event at the perfect time as you've defined perfect to be. And then once you've tuned in, you are in total control over your point of view on where, how you're watching the show and that we give you these prompts that allow you to interact with the content to elevate your entertainment value. If I want to bet on uh, a horse, I can do it. If I want to bet on, you know, if Aaron Judge is going to hit a home run, if I want to bet on this Serena Williams win this set, like, you know, all of those things, if I'm able to do that in one click, I'm going to stick around, watch that content and tune, you know, tune out. As I move on to the next thing, and and Norma lets you know when when the time is up, uh, or the time is right for you to come back to the show. That's how people watch content today. It's how we're going to watch in the future. That's amazing. No, and when we we're chatting offline beforehand, that's probably one of the most unique ways to really see what you're fans of, or like you said, we're doing so much, and it's hey, let me just watch this for four minutes and get really caught up. I'm a big fan of the Tour de France and cycling and I don't have four hours to watch a stage. Right. And now, now there's a, after every stage, they put five minutes together of all the highlights and boom, right. That's all I really need to know to see for the day. And I know what happens with guys that I want to watch or guys that, um, or the stages you want to watch. Right. It's really, it's really coming down to that and almost instant gratification. I can only imagine where TV is going to be my nine and 13 year old, uh, my nine year old still watches sort of Disney channel and that type of stuff. But I can't tell you the last time my 13 year old sat down and watched TV unless it's like America's got talent or something like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's sort of nuts of where this is all going. Yeah. I mean, I have two toddlers and, and they don't even know the difference no. between Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, or, you know, television. I mean, and, and that's sort of like the idea of appointment viewing, the idea that, you know, the show starts at seven is totally foreign, totally foreign to that whole generation. It doesn't make any sense at all. Like why they just can't watch the show and they want to watch it. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, and now most of the TVs, the apps pop up for YouTube or Netflix or Hulu, and you don't even really even need to scan through the channels anymore because scanning through the channels has almost become a pain in the ass. Of course, of course. 
Now, how did you see, you know, we're talking about connecting the dots in the future. This is totally connecting the dots in the future. How did you see that vision? I mean, we just, we just, I mean, I knew, knew it from my home life and, you know, and, and watching my, my, my children. Um, but we just, you know, we knew from Instagram and from YouTube that, you know, that elevant, elevated, gorgeous production of televised linear, you know, content, like that wasn't the things that had big views. It was that, we call it that snackable content, you know, created by probably an amateur that was just an interesting story, a snackable story, most of the time that could be interacted with by the user. I could like it, I could love it, I could thumbs up, thumbs down, comment, something like that. That was what where the audience was going. And I still think that with sport, you know, sports right now, it's still a media rights business. But uh, it's, it's just not going to be that way. And, and, and right, if you can look to the even the NFL, that, acceler- that downward trend of that linear viewership is only accelerating. Now, the NFL has a huge audience, so that can continue to accelerate. And it really doesn't matter because it's such a big audience to begin with. Um, but for sports that struggle to capture the audience, whether that's endurance racing, tennis, wrestling, track and field, I mean, you name it, right? All of these different sports um, that are just really tough to show on a continuous stream, right? The track and field meet that's on for an hour, you're going to miss 90% of what actually happens at the meet. No, it's so you remarkable. Have to, you have to split it up and give the audience really the power to, to be the director of their own show. That's how we describe it. Watch what you want to watch when you want to watch it at exactly those right moments from the point of view that you choose, and you can interact with it as much as you, you'd like. That's phenomenal. No, I think you're definitely onto something there. You're, you're, <laughs> that is the future of you know, and the future of instant gratification of entertainment is really what it's coming down to. That's what it is. Yeah. Right. Now, what about, you know, you've been around and I'm sure, you know, you've overcome adversity. We've all overcome adversity. You've been around, you know, people on, on Wall Street during, you know, during the crisis and been around plenty of athletes. Sure. You know, what do you think, what do you think some of the keys to overcoming adversity is, you know, an injury or size or funding or money or that type of stuff? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I would, my, my knee jerk reaction is certainly those people that are around you. Um, you know, yet you have to have a tribe. You have to have those people that are, um, you know, influencing your perspective, right? I mean, that, I mean that that voice in your head is always listening, and if it's only listening to you, you can go crazy. Um, so there has to be that support staff around you. Um, that you you know you have to be their supports, you know, involved in in and those other people's lives as well. Um, I think that's huge. Um, it, it is it is very much a mindset, and that mindset is influenced by, in my opinion, those immediately around you. They have to care, and the way they care about you is if you have to, you've got to care about them as well. It has to be genuine. Interesting. Now that's a great way. I've never actually heard anyone talk about it and surround themselves with their tribe because a lot of times your tribe mates leave you <laughs> when you come 
come when adversity comes versus actually being you know, and really being there and surrounding yourself. I always ask the question, if I need to go to battle and my life depended on it, who's going to be the five people I would take to battle with yep. me, right? Amen. And and yeah. I think I'm only still at two <laughs> that I keep trying to, <laughs> I, I haven't come with the three, four and five yet. It's, but it's so true. It's, uh, but it's, again, it's, Hey, if you need a team to go survive, who's going to be on your team that's going to allow you to survive. Uh, exactly. I, you know, I always have this theory about, you know, as a distance runner and I, you, you may, you may disagree, but I, I've always thought that, People who do in di- distance running, I was a distance runner, you know, in, in a, li- a different life. But those people are either extraordinarily bright and can channel the pain away and use it or, you know, internalize it and use it to their advantage. Or those people are just really shockingly dumb and just sort of don't even realize they're in pain. But I think most of the time, it's 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 that super smart smart person. And so, oftentimes that high performing athlete can just when they face adversity, that it, it they're almost unfazed by it. That it's almost expected, never necessarily articulated, but expected. And and they just continue to move forward with without a, without an, sort of an option of being derailed. And it's crazy to most, but it absolutely makes sense. No, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I think doing long events or doing multi-day events or adventure racing, the race hasn't started until something has gone wrong. (laughs) Then you got to figure out what to do. It's almost, sometimes it's easier to have something go wrong early to sort of get it out of the way and sort of figure it out from there. But yeah, the, the race in my eyes hasn't started until, shit starts breaking down yep. and oh, yeah. you got to build yourself back up from there. And that's, that's when it starts. That's when it starts getting really real. It can be mentally, it can be physically, it can be equipment wise. There's so many things that can go wrong that you're not even prepared for. Um, I just did a race a couple weeks ago and went to go grab my headlamp that was on my helmet and the thing was dead. I'm like, all right, well, we got to figure out how to, duct tape another headlamp to my helmet so I can <laughs> ride through the night and just, sure. you know, jerry rig it and then you're ready to go. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's a great point. Like you, you, there wasn't an option to just stop. Like, right. I mean, that was just, yeah, there's no I, option. I face, like I find a solution. I just keep going. Done. Yes. Yep. Now, once you sign up, you're in, right. And that's really what it is. Yeah. And, one of the things I always say to myself too, and you know, this goes out to all the soldiers who are out there, we're doing all these races that we think are hard or anything, and they're not even hard. We're not having people being shot at, you know, shooting at us or worried about whether our life is, you know, is, is on the line. And I give the most respect to those guys because it's just, it's just absolutely crazy. We know it's going to stop on Sunday, but you, know, you never know when it's going to stop with those guys in the yeah. field. Amen. Now, what do you think, what role, you know, you're sort of the, the perfect guy and the catalyst behind this. What role does athletics and health and wellness play in professional success? I think it's absolutely key. And there's, there's been plenty written, written about it that uh, I wish everyone knew it. Um, you know, a healthy, healthy body is a, is a healthy mind. Um, uh, of so many of the business leaders that I uh, am inspired by, 
and get guidance from, they are all athletes, every single one of them. And it's not even necessarily that I've sought them out because they are athletes, but in fact, simply learned the backstory and that they're all quite fit and it's been that way their whole life. You know, it may be ebbs and flows, but you know their their fitness level or athleticism, you know, level of athleticism. Um, there's peaks and troughs to it, but they they are athletes, and it's it's uh, you know it's it's almost like sort of shockingly easy um, to understand why that is an important factor, but and people people miss it all the time. Well, it's like you said, it's dealing with pain. It's overcoming adversity. It's really just having the ability to put your head down. Yeah. I think it's a lot of it that we all learn. I'm sorry? No, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a coach. The athlete is also coachable. So like regardless of how successful somebody is, I'm always um, admire that those who I look up to, they are also quite attuned to also being coached to also learning there is there's this so great humility that the you know the high performing athlete possesses that he or she is always on the prowl for new and better information and he's very much an athlete's mentality and no, and that definitely crosses over into the business world. And I think it's yeah. you know what you said earlier, connecting the dots in front of you versus connecting the dots behind you. If you are telling a budding athlete or master's athlete or you know, anyone coming out of college or a professional that's looking to take the next step in performance, what would you tell them? Um, well, I'd certainly tell the older athletes um, to – to focus at just as much on their recovery as on their, on their actual execution, you know, in, in practice or on game day. Um, and I think that I, I tell the, the younger athlete in terms of increasing, you know, their, their performance is, is, uh, you know, just because maybe the, the structured game ends that post collegiate life as an athlete continues that you're still in the game, you're still playing a game, There's, there, there has to still be game day jitters, you still have to feel the pressure. And if your life is not giving you those things, you've got to seek it out and change it. Because that's when you're going to be your best. That's awesome. You've got to wake up nervous sometimes. You've got to worry about your preparation um, just as you did when you were trying to win an NCAA championship, that has to continue. It does not, you don't get to turn it off and expect to continue to be a high performer. It doesn't work that way, right? It doesn't. Nope. It's, it's that fire in the belly. It's almost, I wrote a article and, you know, about embracing anxiety, right. Versus becoming, you know, of trying to push it away because your body's telling you something. It's it's getting you ready for the for the next event or getting ready for the next deal or getting ready for yeah. whatever you need to you know you need to take to get to that next level and and really embracing it versus trying to you know, push it down or depress it or put it in the basement. Amen. 
All right. So closing, we're running up here to a half an hour, a couple of quick sort of rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. Do you follow any specific diet at all? Um, no, I do not. Uh, and I, I believe that, uh, <clears throat> you know, eating healthy, if you can learn how to eat healthy, you don't have to be on a, on a specific diet uh, to perform optimally. Um, because you know, I think sort of the premise of the diet is you're eating one sort of, sort of way and then it stops and then you get to eat like crap for the rest. Of the, and you get, no, 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 no. Just eat healthy throughout. Perfect. Perfect. What was, um, what's your sport of choice and what was your workout today? Um, so did a hit workout today under uh, the coach of the workout is a three-time Olympian, Olympic gold medalist, NCAA champ. So, I know how to work out, know how to lead a workout. Uh, my sport of choice, um, man, that is a great question. Um, I'm not going to give you like, oh, I do everything. Yeah, I won't give you that cop out right. answer. Uh, my sport of choice, you know, would be track and field. Nice. Are you still running quite a bit or are you doing other events? Uh, I am not running like I once was. I am sprinting like I wish I always had. <laughs> nice. No, it's getting out of your comfort zone, right? Of being a distance yeah. runner to become becoming a sprinter. And then lastly, what's your favorite piece of gear? You know, it could be technology, it could be workout yeah. gear. What's your favorite piece? I can't I live think, without. Uh, when I throw on some Norma Tech recovery boots, you know, that's home. Nice. <laughs> that's a happy place. That is awesome. No, I know a lot of people. I've never used them, but I know a lot of people that do, and they, they love them. They're fantastic. They're just so awesome. They're fantastic. Yeah. Killer. Well, Dave, I really appreciate you being part of this, and thank you for your insight because you've done some super cool stuff, actually creating a movement that's really making a difference in the world by raising $11.5 million, and I want everyone to – um, check out, you know, check him out. And what's the website? And tell us where they can find you. Uh, I mean, they can go to the d10.com. Perfect. Check out, uh, check out all you, all you need to know uh, about the D10 and uh, watch the show. Watch it on Norma. Awesome. Awesome. And what events do you have coming up that people can take a look at or potentially sign up for? <laughs> Yeah, we've got um, our big events for the balance of the year are the, uh, the D10 in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is in October. And then we uh, we wrap up the tour in November in Houston, which is a huge, huge event, um, a two-day contest. And uh, it's not all Houstonians. There's a lot of guys that come in uh, for that contest. It's super competitive. Awesome. So I challenge anyone to go out there, raise some money, and go test yourself against some of the best guys, the best athletes that are out there that are just like you. So, well, Hey Dave it was, it was awesome to have you on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time today. I know um, you got to run, you're super busy and, and changing the world. So thanks for being part of it. And if anyone has My any pleasure. questions, comments, or feedback, just uh, email me at Ken at executive Perfect.